0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It is my great pleasure to welcome Mecca Asonia to the show. Welcome, Mecca.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. So happy to be here.
0: Mecca is the VP of Sales and Services over at Mixpanel, where he serves a team of over 100 people. If you have not heard of Mixpanel, they help companies build powerful self serve analytics to help customers convert, engage, and retain more of their own customers. So, Mecca, we always like to start out with a, a little factoid to get to know you, something interesting. It's certainly, I, I see in your LinkedIn profile some interesting things in your past, but I'm curious what you want to share with us today.
1: I'm actually pretty fluent in Pig Latin, and that sounds weird, but I can actually speak Pig Latin as fast as I can speak English. There's kind of a strange story behind this. So uh, my parents were first-generation immigrants, Nigerian to to the United States. They came here in um, 1982. So they speak Igbo, uh, their tribal ethnic language. And as kids, me and my brother and my sister did not. So anytime they wanted to hide something from us, they would speak in Igbo because they knew we couldn't understand it. So one day we hatched up a scheme and a plot to figure out like, how can we get back at them? We were too young to to speak Spanish or German or other languages. So we grabbed our encyclopedias off the wall and taught ourselves uh, how to speak pig Latin. So there were epic wars in the Estonia household for weeks at a time where my parents would speak only in Ebo and we'd speak only in pig Latin.
0: For a blast from the past, can you give us one sentence in pig Latin?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, and I just said, MixPanel is the best product analytics solutions out there.
0: I, I love it I love it I, I did not learn Pig Latin but instead my brother and I learned this language called Ithig language where you put Ithigs just like Pig Latin so you would say mid the put again the goal the 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 but the guest and then that just said mixed panel is the best Ithig is way less efficient than Pig Latin
1: <laughs> that's, that's pretty good and I, I actually remember so my sister and I uh, interned at, in an investment bank, Big Maryland well she was a full time and I was an intern and we uh, we took it to the next level and we would do Spanish Pig Latin to make sure that folks really can understand what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I guess if you go to the Vatican, you can do Latin Pig Latin. That would be <laughs> super, super meta.
1: That would be next level.
0: <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about a broad range of topics. And, you know, usually I allow the guests to pick the topics to start at. I'm selfishly going to pick one today because like I looked in your background and saw that you were uh, at uh, Bain and & Company. And I worked for about a decade for former McKinsey consultants, and I'm kind of fascinated by the critical thinking skills and frameworks that you learn when you are a consultant and or in a hedge fund, right? So I'm curious, what are some of the frameworks that you learned when you were at Bain that you think are highly transferable to the world of sales and services?
1: The biggest skills I took away is just the ability to be comfortable with ambiguity, and um, and this, this uh, places stuff out in life, this places stuff out in sales, but you show up on a sales call and you have no idea what your customer's business might do. And obviously you spend some time, You know, if you're any salesperson worth their salt, you spend time researching their business, researching the person, researching their problems. But this whole habit of showing up somewhere and um, having to get really smart really quickly, I think is really helpful for salespeople. Um, especially when you think about early stage sales where you may not have yet focused on a geo or focused on a vertical. You've got to be a jack of all trades who can, you know, in one second talk to a gaming company about why you want to use a product like MixPanel, but in the next go talk to an e-commerce company or a B2B SaaS company. And what I've always found with really successful salespeople is they're able to translate their products sort of into business success. And I think in order to do that effectively, you've got to understand sort of how the CEO or the co-founder of the business might be thinking. Um, so it's something that I just try to talk to with all the reps is really understanding before you even start to talk about panel. Make sure you understand your customer, make sure you understand their key priorities, make sure you understand how their business works, and then you can really tailor the pitch or the demo to that specific user, that specific company, and how they, they're going to best be able to leverage our product.
0: Wow, there's, there's actually a lot to unpack in there. One of them was, you know, what is this uh, concept of sort of above the line and below the line selling, where the above the line concept, right, is those strategic things that the C-level folks will care about. And the below the line, by the way, is people who actually user buyers and technical buyers who might actually still care about speeds and feeds and features. So I, I don't, I, you know, a lot of people position them as an or, but it really is an and. You need to tailor that to the customer. We're actually having a discussion internally today about, whether or not it's appropriate for sellers, especially junior sellers, to come into an organization and suppose what problems that company has had. When you work with your own team, and especially the younger sellers, how, how do you recommend that they engage some of those senior people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always think it's best when you'll, you'll probably hear me say this again, but teaching with every touch. Um, as salespeople, I think we have to really value our customers and our clients' time, whether it's five minutes or, or whether it's you know thirty minutes or an hour. And I always say that that person, what I want mixed panel go to market to be, is regardless of if they decide to use our product, they learn something, they got value from the conversation, and I, I, I truly believe that. As you think about this above the line, below the line, you want to be able to do that for feeds and speeds. You also want to be able to do that for business impact. So, you know, the job of a seller is to be able to relate to the end user, the product manager, but it's also to be able to relate and explain to the CEO why this solution makes sense. And if you really look at your pipeline, I think if you don't have a below below the line and above the line decision maker, especially in you know mid market and enterprise, you're just not going to get a deal done. Gone are the days where one person is going to push. For a six-figure contract, you've got to make sure that all of the sort of groundswell of users are happy.
0: You know, something else that you sort of, you know, hinted on there about the uh, teach with every touch. We are now moving, I guess, semi-rapidly from what I would refer to as like traditional or old school prospecting, which was basically, you know, hey, Mecca, we're sales loft, take a meeting with me. To, hey, Mecca, I read something about you on LinkedIn, go Cleveland Indians or something like that, or Sales loft, take a meeting with me, right? Which is, I mean, it's a little better. I'm not going to say it's not better, but it's not great. To like, hey, Mecca, here is something that you don't know about your business, or here's something that you don't know about your role. When you're ready, let's talk, right? I think it's a very different approach. How do you guys go about truly adding value in every touch? What are some examples of the way that you do that?
1: Yeah, I think one of the examples is... Um, so there are people who have dealt with just about every media business. And I think what comes with that is some sort of pattern recognition, which is nice. So you can actually offer advice to a product manager and say, Hey, you know, do you want to learn about how your 8 competitors... And obviously, we would never you know share anything confidential. But here's a conversation that I've had with 8 other people in media. Here's the problems that they're facing and how they've used Mixpanel to solve problems. Do any of these challenges resonate with you? Are you also struggling with this? So I love for us to say, hey, I may not be an expert in your business, but I've probably talked to 15 or 20 people who look very similar to you. And I've learned things in that process and trying to have salespeople bring that to the conversation. So again, when you're teaching with every touch, you're learning and understanding their business, but you're also saying, I've heard this before. I've had this conversation before. I've solved some of these problems. Here's how I've heard them talk about it. And I think there is a ton of value in being the salesperson who can talk one to one with someone about their business. And it's clear that they actually understand it and they're not just trying to guess.
0: I'm with you on that for the mid, like that very specific example in mid funnel or late funnel. In the early funnel, I don't know if I completely agree simply because I I worry, right, in talking to our own reps, like, I worry that they're going to send bottom of funnel content at the beginning. So to me a piece of bottom of funnel content might be a case study or an ROI calculator or whatever. Like it's it's something that feels super self-serving. Where what I want them to send at the top of the funnel is something that, you know, again, allows them to learn something they don't know about their role or their business that has nothing to do with salesloft or gives them a, a cool tool, right? So uh you know, we built a bunch of I mean, they're almost product-led growth. They're almost PLG, but not exactly little micro apps we refer to them as. So things like find business email is like a website uh, or subject line grader or cadence builder, right? Like we built these things so that our salespeople can go out and just say like, you know, hey, Mecca, here's a subject line grader for your team. No obligation. Have fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right?
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think you guys do a great job of this. I think Gong and Outreach do a great job of this of sharing insights you know they're they're obviously doing there's a purpose why they share this but I find so many of those emails really helpful like I think one of the more recent ones I saw was about the success of sellers when they have video on versus video off it's like yeah of course I'm gonna open that email see what the number is I forwarded it to my team we're talking about it in our you know my directs my my staff meeting and that right there like that person earned uh, at least a response to their email even if it's a hey, we're set, not right now. That's so much better than the person who just calls you on the phone, asks you if now is a good time. You know now it's not a good time. It's the middle of the workday. We've got closing quarter coming. Um, but they just you know start spewing into, I'm XYZ rep from this company that you've never heard of before. Let me talk. Do you have 15 or 30 minutes? And that's an immediate no. Whereas, again, when you start with value, all of a sudden, I'm like, you just add value. How, one, I think as humans, we want to give back to people who provide value. But then two, you also say, what other value does this person have? Should I have this conversation? Maybe they're going to drop three or four more nuggets of wisdom that will help me in my day job. So I agree with you in thinking about where you are in the funnel and and tailoring the content as such.
0: It's a hard thing for salespeople to do, right? Uh, is to find those assets that are not bottom of funnel, but are that are top of funnel, and and you know still be able to to use them. You know, we've been talking about how you engage different people with with value. Whenever I read stuff on create personal value. It always rubs me the wrong way if someone tries to sell me on my own personal value. It makes me feel selfish. You know what I mean? Like it makes me it's like putting me in a position to make a decision that might be in my interest but not in the company's interest. Yeah. Do you feel the same way about the personal and professional value or do you have I I and I think I'm I may be way off just out in left field on this one.
1: No, I don't I don't think you're off in left field at all. I mean, the number of times my team has heard me say you know, customer first, mixed panel second, and we're no longer nowhere in that hierarchy. Um, the people who are going to be successful at this company are the people who think about our customers and then the people who think about our company. But there's not, and I know sales gets a wrap of, you know, it's a bunch of individualistic ICs who are out for themselves, but that is not the culture that I feel like I've been a part of in, in different organizations that I've I've really loved and what I've been trying to build here at mixed panel. It's it's the culture where you look out for your customers and you look out for the people to your left and to your right. And for people who are willing to step over somebody else to get there, the how you do things matter. Like, there is a mixed panel sales way. And if you violate that, like, you're not going to have a seat here for very long. Um, and, I, and I also just think that, you know, that's got to be a life model. Like, when I'm thinking about people you're hiring, like, I really want people who um, are always thinking about the greater good. Like, you want the person who's going to, you know, the analogy I always say is, for me, I want a sales team where everyone on that sales team wants to be the relay leg of a 4x100. So they all they care about is winning the gold medal of their team. But then they also really care about pulling their own weight. They want to be the fastest person on the team. They want to help their other team members get faster at run with better technique. But at the end of the day, what matters is, does the team finish number one on that podium or not? And it's not, okay, what did I run my split in?
0: Yeah, COVID is still raging as we record this. So I'm I'm curious when you think about assessing that greater good mentality during the hiring process and your presumably remote hiring, how do you test for that?
1: Yeah, Um, so I mean, I think there's a series of behavioral questions. There's not just one specific way, but I think you know we've got a pretty rigorous interview process where we you know will um, expose a candidate to people in sales, people across the company, and each of us are running the same interview over and over and over and each of us are testing for a different criteria so i've run the same interview now hundreds of time over and part of it is adapted from an interview that i you know did at strike part of this is an interview i've done i've done in vain so i truly can do the interview and you know in a 30 second wrap-up say hey this person was this percentile um adjusted for level of experience um and i think throughout that interview question there's a bunch of questions that you're planting to see, okay, is this person a team player? Is this person individualistic? Or when you ask someone a question about, you know, tell me about a time, tell me about your most proud accomplishment. Does this person just talk about the one time that they single-handedly built the Empire State Building? Or do they acknowledge sort of like, you know, the supply chain that got them there and the other people on the project? And I think there's a series of five, six, seven of these questions where you just, you get little insights into how the person runs and you try to piece that all together to, to really See it. And, you know, like anyone, we've, we've all been wrong before where someone comes off as one thing and then it's completely something else. But um, I think it's possible to test for in an interview process. And then um, references. Like when you're doing references, there are certain questions that I think are really important to ask. Like folks who've had a ton of experience with people tend to give. Um, yeah, give you an idea of what what you might expect.
0: I love the question around what what's the accomplishment you're most proud of. And I also listened during the answer to those questions around the use of I and we language. I know for candidates, it's a real struggle, which is if they say we, we, we all the time, then they're worried the interviewer will think they didn't do anything. <laughs> right? You have to find a balance. It's like not all of one and not all of, an, of the other.
1: Totally. But even if someone says we, 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 I'll just follow up with, what was what was your specific role in that? And to me that's not a terrible follow-up question if someone is deferential to the team or or the folks who help them get there versus if you ask somebody who just said I, 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 and who else, you know, had to help you get there or what other team for a process and they're like, No, no one, just me. Like I think <laughs> that says a lot about that person.
0: I found a lot when I do uh, ask that same follow-up question on the I, I, I side that it turns out that the person may not have done as much as they were, you know, claiming to do and that that's a that's a big red flag for me. Yeah. I appreciate that you're using the same interview over and over and over again. There there's a lot of research that says that, you know, structured interviews as as that would be defined are effective whereas unstructured interviews where you just sort of show up and have a chat are are not effective. I'm curious what you found or some of the key criteria for success in hiring either at Stripe or Mixpanel.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, hustle, you'll hear this a bunch right now, but like grit and hustle, sales is a um, you you hear no a lot, and I think you need somebody who just that grinder mentality, that person who's going to make that last call, send that last email, go above and beyond for the customer. I think that's just something you have to have. Um, a growth mindset is another thing. The way we sell, what we're selling, the competitive environment, like these things shift on a week by week, quarter by quarter, year by year basis. And if you've got somebody who doesn't have the ability to adapt in their surroundings and learn and grow, I think you're just, you know, that's a tough situation to put people in. And I think the other thing too is as I'm hiring, I'm always thinking about not will this person be able to fill this job, but can they fill the next job? Like there's enough people who can go out and just do the, the work that you're asking, but I want somebody to do that work, deliver 120% and help the organization get better. You know, we're, we're, always been most passionate about early stage companies and growing. And for those companies to be successful, you need to promote from within. And to promote from within, I think you need people who look at jobs outside of just their own job as their problem as well. It's this ownership mentality where you have people who feel like, I may be an SMB rep, but I can do far more to make, make mixed panel more successful, whether that's delivering product feedback to the engineering team or helping a new SDR or a new AE get onboarded or you know, working with a marketing team on a prospecting initiative. I, I just want people who just want... like, Honestly, the thing that I care most about is, do you have a growth mindset and do you want to win? Uh, those are the things that I really care about. If you surround me with people who want to get better and who just really want to win, who have an intense bar for sort of like what they expect from themselves and what they expect from those their colleagues i think that is such a special environment to be a part of
0: yeah i'm constantly by the way trying to pull sets of data to see if there's anything that can predict success and i define success for salespeople, by the way is that they last for two years because i think you can especially in enterprise sales you can fake it uh, you know or just fly under the radar for about a year because the sales cycle might be six to nine months, you know, you got ramp time and all that, but you're probably not going to make it past the two year mark. So last week, I pulled um, all 1600 reps who ever worked for this one particular, they are like a two or $3 billion company. And I'm now having some contractors from Upwork pull all their bio data off of LinkedIn, so I can figure out whether there's a secret decoder ring. Having done this in the past, for SDRs, there are some secret Dakota rings, but for reps, it's really, really hard, you know, to figure out what the secret Dakota ring is there, whether it was education or sports or military or yeah. uh, gymnastics or band or whatever. Like, it's just super tough. I did want to pick up a thread, which was you talked about promoting from within. I had a discussion with two people about a week ago where one of them said, my philosophy for first line sales managers is to exclusively promote from within. The other one said, no, I do 50-50. Because I want, yes, I want like the knowledge that we have internally, but I always want to bring in fresh perspectives. Do you Do you fall on either end of that spectrum, or somewhere in between?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say I fall closer to the promote exclusively from within, um, and, and I'd say a couple of things. I think one, uh, you always we talk about building stop comp plans for our overperformers. So one. I think there are overperformers on the IC side who really think about the management track, and I think it can be such a demoralizing message to have people who've been absolutely crushing their quota for you know quarters in a row, who've been helping you know me do do run different initiatives on the team, who've been helping new salespeople get ramped, and to just say, oh, well, we're going to go get this person who, yeah, we've met them ten times through an interview process, but we haven't actually seen them work. So I think there's this internal messaging. Is point one for promote from within. I think two, like everyone knows, even the best companies, like you have a bunch of misses and misses on a management side, like people say you leave a job because you're boss. <laughs> so if you bring in a new manager and they're a dud, there's a chance that you know you're losing a bunch of really tenured and quality, quality reps. The third piece, and, and maybe this is unique to the audiences or to the environments I've been in, but Stripe and Mixpanel are both extremely technical products where we're not talking about you know, three-week ramp time or you know, a couple-month ramp time. Sometimes it can take six months to a year to ramp with these products because you've got to be able to go toe-to-toe with a PM or an engineer. And I think when you're hiring externally, just that, that ramp time takes a while. Whereas if you're taking somebody who knows a product, knows where the bathroom is, has, has all the um, context that is necessary, I think it can be really helpful. Um, I still will hire externally. I think there are times where someone leaves and there's just not a successor readily available, and you have to say, for the success of this team, I've got to go get someone. Or when you're you're facing a new challenge that the organization hasn't faced yet, and you don't see somebody who can take it on, you basically say, let me go get that piece of talent from somewhere else. This is the missing piece to you know make us a championship caliber organization. So. You've always got to be open-minded and willing to hire externally, but I think you want to look internally first. Yeah,
0: um, I'm with you on that spectrum, by the way, which is, unless by extreme exception, for first-line sales managers, I I really feel they should all be promoted from within. I've just seen too many failures of hiring people externally, and it is because they just, right? I mean, their job is to coach and guide, and if they don't know the people and the processes and just how things get done and sold... Inside the company, that learning curve is is just too high. But I, I like your exception, which is if there's a new challenge that the team has not faced before, then you know there there is a reason to to kind of pull the exception cord there. In contrast, though, I do think hiring middle managers and CROs, VPs of sales, like there, I think it's actually you know great to bring in the perspective. They don't need the in, as in depth technical knowledge. What they do need is like. Sales process, coaching, deal knowledge, relationships, you know, mentorship, all that, right? So it's a different skill set.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I agree on that. I'll push back a tiny bit. I still believe the best VPs of sales and CROs are better when they truly understand what the reps are doing. I've seen places where you hire a CRO and they just say, "Hey, we're just going to go and put this playbook that I use somewhere else on," and they don't adjust for the unique circumstances that are in the business and. You know, I think sales is changing. I think products are changing. I think our users are changing. And if you get somebody who, again, we talked about this with reps, is not adaptable, doesn't have a growth mindset, a person's going to set themselves up for failure. So, um, but generally, I think you're right. It can be hard to find a, you know, a replacement VP of sales CRO from just inside the house.
0: You know, we have a few minutes left. So just on one last topic, and it ties to how you t- you talked about sales is changing. This idea about like, user-driven product-led growth versus targeting top-down, you know, do do you have specific advice for your reps on whether to start top-down or bottom-up when they're engaging new prospects?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one, it it depends on the organization. I've got like two archetypes in mind. There's, you know, the organization that is a top-down organization where nothing gets done unless it's sort of like sent out from the office of the CTO. And those tend to be, I think, more legacy-incumbent enterprise-type businesses. And then I think there are a bunch of businesses where the users are truly empowered to buy what they need to get things done. And you know, you can put customers in buckets, but you know, customers sometimes defy what norms you might expect. So for me, it's all about just understanding what type of organization that customers are part of and figuring out, do I need to take a bottoms-up or top-down? And... Honestly, if you can do both, that's probably the recipe for success. If you've got user champions saying, I cannot imagine life without Mixpanel, and then you've got a CTO who says, hey, we've got to implement a self-serve product analytics solution, those are the opportunities that convert in 80 90% where you've got you know, of the above the line and the below the line stakeholders all championing your product and your solution. I love
0: contextual subtlety, right? And this is another contextual subtlety is to actually understand how your customer buys, right? Don't, don't assume that you know how they buy. And yes, there are some heuristics, right. That says if it's an old line company, they probably are more top down. If it's a, a, you know, new age web SaaS company, they probably buy more, you know, more bottoms up. And I think that's a good way to start. And it it ties the management consulting thing, which is like question all of your assumptions and validate all of your assumptions. Don't, 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 Suppose that they are true. Go seek disconfirming information, and I think that's a that's a good example. Uh, I worked for a company for sixteen years, and they were very much top down. You know, even two levels below the CEO, we once talked about like getting together an innovation team, and we all decided no because this organization, if the CEO didn't, if it didn't come from the CEO, it didn't exist. <laughs> so, so we just did not bother with that. Saved ourselves time.
1: That's funny. I, I, I can see why you're probably at another organization now.
0: What I learned there was operational excellence and to an extent, strategic discipline. You know, It wasn't the most innovative place on the planet, but you know, darn it if they did not polish things operationally to be super smooth running engine.
1: And that that is, I mean, you, you hear the expression operations eat strategy for breakfast, but I, I feel like I've seen that where if you just get the right set of people who are relentlessly focused on whatever the strategy is, they're probably going to win. Like, good people working really hard on something, like, or they'll find that they'll they'll find that the strategy is flawed and, and pivot. So this operational excellence piece is I think something that, you know, I try to drive home with, you know, frontline managers and ICs, like there's operational excellence at every level, uh, from the IC to the frontline manager to the second line manager to the VP and just making sure that you're really broadening yourself on You know, how are we doing everything in our power to, you know, beat our competitor, provide a better experience to our customer and having such a low tolerance for things that don't fit into that? Did we delight the customer? Did we delight the customer?
0: Mecca, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. If people want to learn more about career opportunities at Mixpanel or learn about potentially uh, becoming a Mixpanel customer, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, my email is pretty easy to find. I'm I'm mecca at mixpanel.com. uh, yeah, it's the, one of the great things about having a unique Nigerian name is uh, anyone can find me pretty easily. Uh,
0: outstanding. Well, hopefully you don't get uh, get too inundated, but if they do prospect, you add value on every touch, right? Exactly.
1: you heard, you heard it here first.
0: <laughs> sweet. Thank you so much, Mecca.
1: thanks, Jeremy. Really enjoy the conversation. and appreciate you having me on. Hey,
0: Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.